0: You're listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? Come on in. Have a seat. Uh, Grab yourself something to drink. Are you uh, hungry? I might have a sandwich or something kicking around. You guys want something? Uh, Sit down. Relax. Um, And today, I want to make sure that everybody feels like they're in a safe place for learning today. And uh, I'm not saying that ironically. I'm saying that honestly. I want you to feel like this is a safe place to have some pretty dangerous conversations, right? Today, we're going to talk about sexuality. Today, we're going to talk about how sexuality is used uh, in arts. Today, we're going to talk about uh, honest, beautiful sort of performance pieces. Um, And I'm excited. Um, to sit down with my guest today because I was so enthralled by her music video. And maybe it's just because I come from, you know being born in the in the late 70s and the, growing up in the 80s and 90s, music videos were was, had such an influence on my art and on how I perceived men and women, how I perceived love and relationships. Um, because you know MTV was always on. And you know, the music video itself was sort of the shrine to uh emotion. And it did such a great way of taking the emotions that we felt like when we listen to a song or when we uh, you know, put on our favorite album. those emotions were then shifted and changed by the visuals that were accompanying it. And and every once in a while, I will stumble across a music video that makes me fall in love with the music itself. And, uh, you know, this has happened with bands like Scissor Sisters. There's a video out there. You should go look it up. Scissor Sisters did an Invisible Light is the name of the video. And that video was so masterfully done and so creatively put together. And I had never heard the band before. And I had just seen the music video randomly online. And uh, it thrust me into the world that is Scissor Sisters. And I fell in love with that music because of it. Now, would I have hunted out that band? Probably. Probably not. Would I have fallen as deeply in love with them if I hadn't seen that music video? Most definitely not. And that has happened with genres, multiple different genres of music that as growing up as like a young metal kid, I never would have tackled. Um, And it's because of the music video as a format, it has shaped and shifted my taste. Um, so when it still happens in in our, in our modern in our modern world without MTV in a modern place where there where there isn't a channel or an outlet that is just looping music videos consistently, and it's hard to find good music videos today because the internet is just as you've heard me say before a sea in which you throw your content out into and it floats away. Right? Um, I stumbled across the music video for today's guest and i forget exactly where i saw it i think strangely enough it was probably on a gear website because they were touting that this music video was shot with a specific lens. I think that's where I saw the imagery for it. And instantly I had to go find her, her work and watch the music video. And I was completely enthralled um, by the music of Vanessa Cuccia. And so she's on the show today. We are going to be talking about the making of her Gemini music video, which if you haven't seen yet, do yourself a favor right now go to Instagram, go to Vanessa underscore Cuccia, that is C-U-C-C-I-A. Go there now. You will find her link tree in the bio on her Instagram page that will give you access to see the Gemini music video. I think it's on Vimeo um, because it's explicit. I don't think it would make it on YouTube. Um, but watch it. It is loaded with sexuality. It is loaded with beautiful imagery. It feels like an Italian sort of um, uh, Suspiria Argento yellow video. Uh, And I love it. Um, It's uh, very reminiscent. It has a lot of like dangerous imagery kind of feels like a little bit like early Madonna. Um, And the music is haunting the music is slightly electronic, and it's just, it's beautiful. So do yourself a favor, go watch it right now, pause this, watch it right now, so that way when we start to address things on this show, you've done your homework, and you know what it is that we're talking about. And while you're on her, her Instagram page, uh, if you scroll down, I'm recording this on the 31st. So, if you scroll down two or three panels, you'll see a loop and you'll know what loop I'm talking about. It's her dancing in red. She's topless with pasties on. And we reference this loop a lot during the show. So, watch it and uh, examine how it makes you feel when you watch it clean without our influence. Like, how do you feel? What does it make you feel emotionally? Right? Does it turn you on? Does it upset you? Let's talk about all that stuff as we push forward on today's show. Before I continue, I want to thank everybody for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy and following the podcast Instagram at in Love with the Process Pod. That's In Love with the Process P-O-D. I will give you this word of advice. If you want to give me feedback on the show, if you my, my avid listeners, my truest fans, want to get in touch with me, uh, please do so through the podcast Instagram and in Love with the Process POD. Do it there. Send me DMs there because my personal account is still overwhelmed with DMs for folks that want to watch 12KM. Yes, it is still going. It is still going viral. I am still lost in a sea of shit, um, and uh, I am still communicating with as many of you as I possibly can. I don't know if you guys saw my latest posts, but uh, yeah, there is no safe person (laughs) from me when it comes to 12KM. And if you do post reviews, if you do post comments, um, I will interact with you. Um, And know this, that all of my interactions are for the sake of positivity. All of my interactions are for the sake of learning. Whether you're teaching me something or if I'm teaching you something. I mean, isn't that the value of conversations to begin with, right? To learn something from it. Um, So, speaking of learning and speaking of dangerous conversations, I just want to set you guys up. We're going to go to some interesting places. We're going to talk about uh, sexual trauma. We're going to talk about emotional trauma. We're going to talk about how these things Uh, influence and create art. And we're also going to talk about learning and making mistakes and recovering from those mistakes and not being chastised for mistakes. This is an episode that sort of tackles a lot of what should be talked about in the wake of everything that has happened through the Me Too movement and through being woke, and all this stuff. And let me just say, I know I'm an older person, right? I know I'm in my 40s. I completely respect and understand the value and the power of change and everything that we needed to have happen in such an explicit, and such a loud way in order to have change start. And I think that the change that has happened within us is powerful. I love Being able to go work on a set that is directed by women, that is put together by people from different places. I love that. I love the stories that we're seeing because of the outcome of this. And I love that people, most importantly, feel safe doing these things. And it isn't toxic. And there isn't this environment of power and abuse of power. Even though it still kind of is there, we're tackling it, right? And we're trying to to make our way through it. But I will say this, the pendulum is swinging a little too far in the other direction. And I think we're setting up a whole other group of folks to be uh, feeling insecure and to feel vulnerable and to feel like they can't convey their own voice and everything else. So let's try to bring that pendulum back to the center now that we've learned and now that we've gone through that process of learning, let's try to do so. And I hope that today's conversation helps you feel more comfortable in general about learning, about progressing, and about the power of trauma in our lives and how it shapes who we become. Does that make sense to everybody? Uh, We have a busy house today, so I apologize if you guys hear stuff in the background, but I'm living with folks, man, and we got to do it this way, and I love it. It just sounds like I've got a whole team of people back in the other room making stuff for us. Right? (laughs) Well, anyway, let's not delay it any further. Vanessa and I have a lot to talk about. So find a nice comfy seat, right? Pull up out. Maybe, you know, maybe today's not a booze day. Maybe today's like a coffee day or tea day, something warm, something comfortable, right? Pull up a nice warm blanket, uh, crank those headphones up to 11, and I'm going to give you a sonic journey through Vanessa's music starting now so sit back relax and enjoy the brand new episode of the love of the process Strange,
1: want to break down, burn it all to the ground.
0: thanks for being on the show. How are you?
2: Thank you for having me, Mike. Yeah, I'm good.
0: <laughs> I'm excited to <laughs> chat. Um, me too. <laughs> we were just talking. So you're you're uh, Detroit, right? Yep. I love for Detroit. The past four years. <laughs> <laughs> I love Detroit. I mean, I, I last time I was in Detroit was probably six years ago or something and it was still a little rough is it is it still rough there now or is it sort of coming together or how's living in Detroit
2: there's definitely those you know those pockets of of rough spots but um it's completely changed even from the time that I've been here I live in um Corktown which is Detroit's Mm -hmm. oldest neighborhood and it's beautiful um where I am. So I'm grateful for that. But um, yeah, it's there's still the rough spots that you can find if you look for it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but there was when we were there, there was this energy that it felt like almost like the Wild West again, where people were coming and and, uh, building businesses and putting things together. And it just seemed to be very energetic. And then I I, I wasn't sure how COVID affected it. Did it sort of knock it off its feet again? Or is it still just been
2: I, there's the motto here. Um, it's like Detroit. It, it's basically, you know, it rises from the ashes like all the time. And I think that it's, um, you know, COVID affected it for sure, but got right back up. And um, yeah, I mean, I always felt really, my sister moved here eight years ago um and it was after visiting her that i felt that energy of like very it was as if everybody was just like yes come here like we want <laughs> we want things happening here and so i always felt that kind of vibe just like you know they were so welcoming to having things going on so you know covid definitely affected certain things but i feel like it's just Got right back up like it always
0: does. Yeah. it's a, It seems like a really cool place to be an artist. Um, it seems like one of those spots that is left in the country where, you know, uh, artists are able to come in and sort of take over. And I remember there were entire neighborhoods that artists were buying out at one point because the mm-hmm. real estate was so cheap and there was some pretty cool stuff happening. It's a, is it still that way? Does it still feel that way?
2: I... Uh, I, I hear stories about those things. I feel a little bit like, uh, I, I wish I moved out here sooner because I hear those kinds of stories. I mean, there's, like I said, there's the places that like are always going to be having that kind of vibe but um <laughs> it's definitely gotten a little bit more by the book i'd say yeah I think it was like yeah, lawless yeah. back when you know my sister even moved here eight years ago it was like that and her boyfriend was born and raised here so he tells me stories that you know are wild but i'm also like oh that sounds so fun <laughs>
0: <laughs> well let me say this uh I, you caught my eye with the Gemini music video. Thank you. And I saw that. Uh, it's been a few months now. So I saw that uh, originally, and I thought uh, that it was beautifully done. It felt like an old, uh, like an Italian sort of yellow, um, like uh, Italian film. And it mm-hmm. was just so hauntingly put together and beautifully done um and uh, i loved it and i'm like oh, i got to get around the show
2: thank you thank you stuff. yeah yeah that was um uh, you know i was so happy to be approached by you for doing <laughs> for doing a podcast that was like um you know that you came to me from my music video because i've i've been on a lot of podcasts before but it's typically been for my business mm-hmm. and i feel like people don't typically um, know that there's a whole other side of, of my life, which is my creative work, and that video is something that I'm really proud of. So I appreciate I appreciate you a lot for recognizing that.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, so <clears throat> so the audience knows. So you've been uh, doing music for how long now? How long have you been in the the music game?
2: I my my mother was a classically trained pianist and she was giving piano lessons in our house with me as a baby on her lap to all the neighborhood kids and I just like learned music from her I've always been in um acting class and music class and taking piano you know forever it's just kind of embedded in me but music I mean I've always been in bands I've always done all the things but I released my first record, it's like two years ago now, like Mm -hmm. my first official record. So it depends on how you look at it.
0: (laughs) And so your first was the uh, Ode to Body. Was that the first album that came out?
2: That was um, a single that I released before the um, full record, which is called This is a Spell.
0: Right, 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 right. That's awesome, man. I'm excited and I've heard uh, multiple tracks off the full album and I love your voice. I love the tone of it. I think it's super cool. It's, I mean, our show, we've always been very much into sort of like a new retro wave vibe, but you kind of skirt around that a bit, which I think is kind of cool. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, the combination, here's the thing. I've been a music video director for years. I've directed videos for multiple bands and I, before that I was, you know, a nineties kid, you know, so born yeah. with MTV, like on in the kitchen every morning that I ate cereal, you know what I mean? So, yeah. so right. uh, the, this, your music is one of those, uh, places that I arrived because of a great music video. And there's, um, a handful of really great acts. Like that's how I found Scissor Sisters originally because I had such a great music video. Um, and I feel like the visuals, um, that you guys created for that Gemini video have tainted in a good way everything that I've listened to on that <laughs> album. <So>.
2: Cool. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, the the director and um, the director of photography are so, so talented. I filmed um, in Mexico City. So it was this
1: Oh, cool. it was this
2: whole experience around the video too like I had met um, Matias and Borja in Detroit they're friends of um, friends and you know we just like started talking and they actually did a video for my sister's um, uh, intimate wear brand called kuchia mm-hmm. and um, they were so phenomenal and they, you know, we were just like, let's, let's do something. And I went to Mexico City. I met up with them. I I wasn't expecting a whole production, but we just had a meeting. They we talked about ideas. And then when I arrived at the the production set, it was huge. And there was like twenty 25 people on the crew (laughs) and it was this larger than life thing. And I, I felt like I walked into another realm and it was just, it was so pleasant. Like the whole experience around it was so pleasant. Um, The end scene where I'm dancing in the Suspiria like you know, manner with all the mirrors around. You know, that was just all improvised dancing. It wasn't like there was choreography that happened beforehand. Oh, it was, I was very fluid. Ask. Yeah, and so it was just like this magical experience, and um, like the whole the whole thing felt very serendipitous and just meant to be. So, I think that that comes through in in the video too. That like you know, there was just some magic in the air. And Oh
0: walking on a set of that size did you were you instantly nervous because I I see that you've done some acting too have you ever been on something that big
2: um uh I think that might have been the the largest production I've I've been in uh, for sure and Mm -hmm. it was (laughs) which was cool I mean it was on my dime too you know I put like my entire (laughs) life savings into that (laughs) video and um but I've been, I've been on sets before, but I think the fact that this was also like, we're all here because of me and this project, it, it, it definitely had a different flavor to it than any other project that I've been on before. Mm. Yeah, I've been acting my, my whole life. I, you know, independent films and web series and things I've done, but this was definitely just another level.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And for, for those of you who haven't seen the video, you should probably watch it now. Take a pause here and watch it so that well, when we're talking about it, you guys know what we're referencing. But um, you actually do like a very explicit dance in this. Like, was mm-hmm. it, was it, uh, it must have been a comfortable enough set for you to get lost in it. It sounds like you're possessed when you're in this <laughs> yeah. video, which is super cool.
2: Yeah. I mean, everybody, I felt really comfortable with everybody. I also feel really comfortable with myself and I know that, um, you know, I I think a part of my draw is the freedom I do feel to express sensuality. Mm -hmm. And so it's also like, that's something that's almost expected of me, um, in, you know, in the few people that like are, are aware of my work that like, understand this is, this is a meaningful, um, component to, to my work is to be, uh, expressive in sensuality. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I had my best friend on the set with me as well. And the stylist, um, you know, she, and I spoke about what I would be wearing and,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, I'm not going to say I was 100% like, Oh yeah, whatever. It was a vulnerable thing to, yes. to dance around like that. But it's also like, like I said, I, I put my, you know, I, I invested my own money into this and I was going to give it my all because this was, you know, this was something that I was, um, proclaiming that I, I want, this life. I want more of this and I will give myself to this work. So it was a very, um, it it was, a, it was something that I, I felt was necessary for me to, to do just to like, let it all out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's interesting. I, so to give you a bit of history, I don't know how much, you know, about the work that I've done, but I've, obviously been directing for quite some time now. And when I started back in the day, um, I used to uh, do work for uh, companies like Suicide Girls and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm no stranger to sexuality and sexuality on camera. And the uh, the hardest thing to do, I feel like, especially when you're a male on set and you're trying to create an atmosphere in which like this kind of artistry can exist it's very difficult um, to build sort of a, a trusting uh, atmosphere when you have like gaffers and grips, and, <laughs> mm, <laughs> and yeah. especially with a piece that you, like like you're doing, which is very surprisingly, it's very technical because it there's mm-hmm. a lot of really interesting light cues and very specific camera angles. And I'm sure uh, it mm-hmm. looks like this was shot on 16. It looks like, which is crazy. I so. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of focus pulling, and you really can't cheat. It's not like you could set up a digital monitor and go, all right, everybody leave the room. Um, yeah. So I'm sure you were performing in front of like a, a massive crew with a lot of this stuff, right? Or at least a good size I, I, crew.
2: I was, I was, it, um, you know, it was at least 20 people on set at that time. And I, um, but what? I think it's different when this was something that I was doing. It's not something I was being asked to do. Right, so you, that, were, you, you were you were feeling the
0: were you feeling the pressure of the of the investment that was on it or is this was this just you completely getting lost in this because you felt like you were in control of this whole world?
2: The whole video too, you know, the all the scenes, it's I'm very stoic in a lot of the shots. And this moment where I'm basically naked, uh it's my chance to perform. And no matter what, my I know that what I want to do is, is get myself into more positions where I feel that sense of I'm performing and I'm channeling whatever this creative energy is and I'm allowing that to move me. That's a thing that I will never censor um, for myself or keep myself from because I'm worried what people will think or whatever hmm. um, yeah. so it's like I owe this to myself too it's not necessarily even about the investment like this has to be good it's more about like this it's a spiritual experience this is me getting myself to the place where I can feel free to perform and let go and feel the, the music and feel myself in this motion of you know <laughs> convulsing in in this environment it's, it's amazing it's like like being on a acid trip, it's just like I'm in another world completely. So why wouldn't I completely give myself to the moment and just feel what I feel? And so everything else, every you know, all the all the crew and everything, they they become blurry in in that moment. That was the moment I was actually allowed to. Um, or you know given the space to experiment with myself yeah and so I indulged in that and then when I kind of you know when they said cut then I hear everybody you know everybody's reaction (laughs) and I and it was just wow you know something something just felt good and that's all that matters at the end of the day is surrendering to that moment
0: yeah no I'm happy you did because it it really sort of transforms the video into sort of this this another plane of existence when you're watching it because it, it it's hypnotizing but it's also uh, it's also slightly scary when you watch it and it's cool uh, it's a very cool juxtaposition from the other sort of stoic you yeah. know very sort of art form stuff and i i think without this video without that in this video it wouldn't feel is dangerous and i think it adds right. that danger element to it which which is beautiful i wonder I- Um, so how did you fall? Cause your, 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 your career is sort of surrounding sensuality and sort of like uh, spirituality. Like how did you, because we, we should probably talk a little bit about what you, <laughs> yeah. what your other company is. Right. So explain to the audience what else you do for work.
2: So I founded, um, shock rubs in 2012 and shock rubs is, um, Basically, they're, um, intimate massage wands made out of crystal or, mm-hmm. you know, they're crystal dildos for anybody that still doesn't necessarily get it. <laughs>
0: with that <explanation>. I, like, <laughs> I have to
2: try to be crap, but
0: I'm okay with that. You're yeah. okay on the show. I just enjoyed, I enjoyed how you were, were using the elevated point of view and you're like, nah, let's just go there. Yeah,
2: I'm just like, I, you know, I. I
0: uh,
2: I've learned over the past 10 years how to kind of manage how I word things and I have gotten tired of (laughs) sugarcoating or whatever. Um, So it's Crystal Dildos and it was – yeah, so it's called Chakrabs again and um, they – you know, I developed that that brand um, and this product as a – as a method to um, feel emotionally supported when you're self pleasuring. So it's a lot for people that have experienced things like sexual trauma and yes. Um, yes. you know various degrees of just um, shame with self pleasure, self love, or just anybody who wants um, m- more meaning to pleasure. And for me, you know, Like I can go into so much of that, but yeah, that was always something that was, um, a a part of who it's something that's been a part of my story. And I think for me, when it comes to music and how it all comes together is, I, um, I have always been a musician, an actor, an artist, Mm -hmm. um, but I experienced, um, sexual trauma, um, in my early, in you know, as a teenager through like my early twenties. And Mm -hmm. I, I realized that I had these creative blocks and I, and I felt unworthy of this, of, of this life that I wanted of, um, artistic expression, and I and I realized at one point that it was because I had this sexual trauma that I needed to address. Mm. And so, through um, my work with crystals and energy healing, and basically just acknowledging this these blocks that I had, it allowed me to come back to myself. Of I am wanting so bad always to just get whatever is inside my soul outside mm-hmm. to manifest like the art. And, um, in, in like energetic awareness, you know, a lot of people understand that your, um, expression and your sexuality is so connected. And so it's, you know, sexual energy is creative energy, you know, it's that fertility, it's, you know, all all those things. It's really the same, the same thing. And I think for me, my life, um, my life's like purpose is to help people recognize those, those things that like, you can work, um, you can work with your own, um, sense of sensuality to be a creative force and to not be afraid of that and also to learn to capitalize off of whatever has harmed you so it's like my you know my sexual trauma i've capitalized off it through making art from it and i think that's a really valuable lesson for a lot of people to to learn is so you're not um you're not you know shut down by these experiences you can actually transmute them into something that is artistic you know and it makes it feel better <laughs> not of that course. you're ever you know not to oh. say that like that's going to necessarily heal anybody completely but it feels better when you transmute something into something that can be applauded at
0: <laughs> well i mean yeah i look <clears throat> There's a difference obviously there's a difference between like your standard life experiences and your traumatic life experiences but at the end of the day you're a storyteller and to be a uh, captivating or to be an interesting or to be an honest storyteller you need to have life experiences and um you yeah. know you it sounds like you've had some traumatic life experiences but those should totally inform your art and inform your your skill as a storyteller because you're able to convey not just the the details of going through a traumatic experience, but also the emotional context of that. And to be, um, you know, a being that is able to resonate that kind of emotion into art that that makes you special, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's something really nice about that. And you you mentioned that you had to get through some blocks. Were the blocks specifically that, you know, the traumatic experience was taking the main stage over your whole mental state or like, explain what blocks were in place. Yeah. I, it's,
2: it's definitely very, it's like an ethereal existential concept, I suppose. But I I think that um, I think there is there is energy and then there's the language that we give the energy to explain what it is. Mm-hmm. So, if, <laughs> um, so I think that there was a sense of um, being, I think through my sexual trauma that I experienced, I had this feeling that I was less than or not, not worthy or that my purpose was to serve um whoever you you know um someone else well i mean you know a guy that you're in a relationship with at the time or something you know
0: right 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 because a lot of sexual trauma is sort of based around you know a power uh conflict yes right
2: right and so i think like the block you know even um you know to go a little bit more in in detail, like my, I had a boyfriend He was older than me and he was a musician. And Mm -hmm. so he, you know, for, for years I was like enduring, um, sexual trauma with, with this person who was a boyfriend who I laughed with and everything, but there was like this dark side, you know? And, um, so him being a musician, uh, as, as well as like, as well as, um, you know, just exposing this toxic sexuality to me and everything. I think – and all, all the while, I'm, like, supporting his dream and supporting uh, his expression and all these things. Meanwhile, like, I, I had something within me that also needed to be expressed, that also needed to be honored, And, um, that was a threat to him. Like my creativity, my expression, my talent was a threat to, to him. Any sense of me being a full fledged person Mm. was a, was a threat. And so it was overcoming this idea that I, um, that I was, built for him and his pleasure and his support system and all those things. And I think that's a very typical thing um, that people go through in partnerships where one one is kind of in the in the spotlight and the other is meant to support, you know. Yes, Yes. So it was getting through those ideas that, wait a second, like I I'm more talented than this motherfucker. Like I needed to realize that. <laughs> and I, and I needed to like, you know, it's not always going to be that petty and sounding, but like i I was, you know, and I needed to realize that like this person was keeping me down and it was in a, a you know, multitude of ways. It was, it was through just using my body and mm-hmm. not seeing me for, you the the person that i am and um you know I, him and i are cool now by the way like and <laughs> like we've we've <laughs> talked and like it's all, good. it's all fine we're all people that make mistakes and all this stuff and we grow and um but this is something that i had to really come to understand over a long period of time and it's always been um a thing that gives me power to understand more and more and and see the different ways in which this affects me.
0: Well, I think this is interesting um, because we really haven't chatted about this on the show and I've talked about it a little bit. And I think that when you're, when you're creative and especially if you get into a lot of what we talk about on this show, which is like if you're going to become a filmmaker, if you're going to become a musician, if you're, if you're chasing this uh, urge to create. Um, Mm -hmm. For many of us, for most of us, uh, especially when you start out, we're all dealing with insecurity and sort of the imposter syndrome where it's like, I don't know if I belong here. I don't know if I'm good enough for this. Like, where do my ideas come from? It takes quite a long time to find comfortability in the the instability that is creativity, right? Mm -hmm. And so... When you're starting, you end up becoming very self-involved, right? And it's it's just the nature of creation because you're trying to figure it all out. And you're trying to uh, find something that uh, you're creating that inspires you. And then you're trying to find your comfortability and your confidence in whatever it is that you're creating, Uh, to be able to turn to the world and oftentimes sell what it is that you're doing, whether it's, Mm -hmm. you know, physically selling it for funds or if you're just trying to get people to watch it. Um, And so it becomes very sort of uh, all encompassing, all encompassing for that. And I find, and I found through personal experience that it's very difficult to have a relationship in that situation because, um, it takes a very special kind of person to understand that situation, understand mm-hmm. what it is that you're going through emotionally and mentally. And I, I've been in two different types of scenarios with that. I've been in a scenario where the person like has no patience for it, and that's not very supportive. And then I've been in a scenario where the person has – way too much patience for it and then they neglect themselves going through that mm. process and then that turns ugly eventually mm. and you know personally i never thought i would date somebody i was i was against it i never thought i was going to date somebody that works in the same business as myself because i didn't want it to become competitive i didn't want right. there to be anger or issues surrounding it And I found I'm very fortunate when I ended up with um, Gina, who I've been with now for 11 years, and she's also a director. And we have found ways to support each other through this process. And we're never competitive with each other. We're never working with each other as far as like, Mm -hmm. we're, we're never at equal footing and I'll work for her and she'll work for me. And I'm just very fortunate to find it because you can find yourself in situations like you've talked about that, you know, it becomes abusive for the person that may not be as, as far as the other person in their career at that point, um, or may not be as loud and vocal about their insecurities. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. It's fascinating.
2: It's, it's, it's definitely fascinating. There's so many dynamics to relationships. And I think, um, we we do put ourselves in in roles, even from being exposed to the cliches of how it goes. Um, you know, the the tortured artist and and the person that <laughs> is going to support them no matter what. It's like you know we romanticize those types of things. And I mean, I I think a relationship can be one of the most powerful things for an artist to find themselves in when it is. Um, healthy and and supportive but you know mm-hmm. we all have to learn and go through those ex- experiences to to figure out what we actually want from a relationship and how to communicate that um, and yeah it, w- you know my my experience what I w- was talking about like it taught me a lot it taught me a great great deal and the main thing it taught me was how to um, not compromise myself so much and to be a little bit louder. And so, you know, as, as difficult as it was and everything, um, again, it's like I capitalized off it from learning from it. Right. And so we yes, all, yes. we all do that, but the life of an artist and, and the partner, I think I'm also very fortunate because my parents are both brilliant, creative business minded people People and so it was also something that for, for me in my life I think it's it's very natural to understand how to support somebody in their dreams and to how how to like go for my own dreams because I witnessed my parents um, in that way and I think when you're with somebody that maybe isn't used to that. It can be very daunting and not understanding, like mm-hmm. you said, that process of an artist and and what it means to go for a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was like embedded in, in me too. So I'm, I'm fortunate for that.
0: Yeah. 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 And then, <laughs> and then you have to take your experiences and sort of intermingle with someone that may not have that and try to figure yeah. out how to make that work. I mean, that's relationships in general. And, and that sort of not just is a romantic relationship, Part of the game. But if you're in a collaborative uh, creative business like filmmaking or anything else, you also have to bring that to work, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. So um, I I find it fascinating. And I I really wanted to sort of go down that way because I think that there's a lot of stigma that comes with folks listening uh, to someone that has been through some sort of sexual uh, abuse in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you hear that, at the front end, you're just like, okay, what kind of terrible picture are they painting in their brains as they listen to this? And it's like, well, it's it's not necessarily always just that. It's There's something very subtle in the support system that comes from a relationship. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that is, can be uh, supportive, but also incredibly destructive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's something that we all, at one point in time, are going to experience, especially... Those young folks that are listening to this show, I get asked this question all the time like, how do you have a relationship while trying to tackle aspects of this business? And it, Mm -hmm. it, you know, it's where you really see it come to play are the folks that decide that they're going to go work on crews for movies
1: Mm.
0: and the people that are like, that's their job where they get pulled away for you know, three months, four months, five months, and they're doing 12 hour, 14 hours, six days a week in that period of time. It's like, well, how the, how the fuck can I have a relationship with anybody at that point? Um, so it's, I think it's an important thing to talk about and I appreciate you being here to, you know, at least start the conversation.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. I mean, for the young people, it's like, um, I, I think we assume that we know how to be in relationships or we know how to love, or we know how to make love. It's like, we don't realize like these, these things actually can take a little bit of reflection and sitting yes. down and really thinking like, what do I need from a relationship and what do I want to give in a relationship? And then it's just about holding true to those boundaries and, and, finding it, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and, and what's most, what, what is your most important value? Like, I know that I value my, my creative life, you know, above most things. And, um, you know, my, my partner, my, my boyfriend now it's like, he knows he, he works, um, as a, as a bartender and he, um, you know, so he's out late and he sleeps in, I get up every morning and I practice piano for, you know, one, one to two hours. And
0: he, I was going to say that must be a source of conflict. <laughs> <laughs> Actually
2: he, it isn't because he, he loves it. And he and he'll tell me that, and I think that that's just one of the ways that I know that this is a compatible relationship,
1: yeah. because
2: he would never make me feel bad for practicing piano, whenever I needed to. And I think it's you know that to me was a, a, a pure sign that this is something that is worth worthwhile. And so I think for creators, it's like yeah, it, it it might be difficult to find somebody that that not only understands your your need to express and create, but actually loves when you do it. Yeah. And yeah. that is the most powerful thing ever.
0: Yeah. I mean, because <clears throat> that's what you hope to have with, with the other person, is you want them to be as in love with who you are when you create as you are. And I think yeah. if, if you can find that connection – um, then it's very powerful. I have that with my my girl as well, and I feel that same way with her. Where she has a way of doing things that is not the way I would do things. And sometimes mm-hmm. I watch, <laughs> sometimes I watch her process, and I'm like, it, it's like, how are you able to cre- how are you able to create while falling down the stairs? <laughs> but, but I wouldn't want her to change that stuff. And like, it, it's so inspiring to see it, and it's so warming to me to to hear it when she's in the middle of it Mm -hmm. um and you you just don't want to shape that and i think there's a whole i could do a whole episode just on 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 men and women sort of coming into relationships Mm -hmm. i can speak from my experience when i grew up i you know i i grew up in a family of four so it was split down the middle so it was two boys Mm -hmm. two girls and so i was experienced two girls uh you know having sisters and i understood uh you know the strange world for many men which is like the emotional roller coaster that uh, girls go through with hormones and all that sort <laughs> yeah. of stuff and so i when i <laughs> My perception of of women was like they're gross, just like guys. You know, it was always yeah. that sort of mix. You know, they weren't sort of put on this godly platform, right? right. But you know, as a male, I think in uh, in our modern society, women are put on this 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 huge platform, and I think mm-hmm. it's because. Uh, sexuality is used as a, as a tool to sell sexuality is to, is used as a weapon. And it's, it's very much, uh, in our sort of, uh, corporate sort of capitalistic society. It, it creates sort of unrealistic versions of women that I yeah. think men are looking up to consistently, whether you're,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, looking at porn all the time, or even if you're just leaving the house and looking at a billboard advertisement, of some like orgasmic positioned right. woman selling a bag of Doritos chips. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally. So I think that for a lot of dudes, um, it's, it's a weird position. And then there's this strange rhythm that I've noticed where, you know, girls tend to want to date up. So when you're when you're younger, like the girls are always looking up towards more mature men because they are suddenly sort of processing their own sexuality, their body's changing they suddenly have this uh, position of power to a certain extent because of how their bodies are changing and they're getting all this attention from from older men and from from that mm-hmm. old situation. So when you're a younger guy, you're sort of unlike you know, Unless you're living the, <laughs> unless you're living the narrative that we see on movies a lot, where it's like, hey, he's the football jock and he, you know, he gets any girl he wants. But for for most dudes, it's not that case. And for me, I didn't really start dating until I was in my early twenties. And mm. <clears throat> once I got into my early twenties, suddenly I uh, had all these. I would say younger girls land by like a year younger, two years younger than myself mm-hmm. that were suddenly interested in dating me. And, and so it's this weird sort of dynamic, I think for a lot of guys sort of trying to figure out um, what that power play is and how mm-hmm. that power play works. And then, I had to go through three relationships before I found my center, if you want to say it that way, Mm -hmm. in which I was actually able to process being with another human being correctly Mm -hmm. and honestly. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, it's such a mind fuck (laughs) for everybody, and I think it, it. You know the the kind of connection that you know I'm talking about with my my boyfriend and you're talking about with Gina, it's like that kind of connection is rare. And I think it's supposed to be rare because if it wasn't, then we wouldn't realize how special and unique it is. And we would take it for granted. And yes, it's like you know, coming of age. It's like we're we're meant to screw up. We're meant to make mistakes and hurt people and be hurt. Yes. I think that's just like love is supposed to fuck you up. we nobody knows what the fuck we're doing. It's just you gotta you gotta do it. And it's the same thing. I mean, to bring it kind of full circle it's like it's the same thing in being a artist yes. you don't know what the fuck you're doing when you when you do it and you can read as many books on the on the subject of of filmmaking and cinematography and music and i can know all the theory but unless i touch a piano i'm not going to really understand what to do with it and how i i want to do it so it's like in relationships is the same thing we have to just you know be um, be brave enough to put ourselves in situations and hopefully know, however, you know that like we are dealing with the most precious thing, which is people, you know human yes. other humans and and to listen and to be kind. I think we have that as a as a base for um, just how we move in the world like it we can do more, like we can do more good. You know, I think like we don't all have to go through like what I went through, which, you know, it, it just came from, um I think a lot of it was ignorance and power plays that were just, po- you know, just within our culture that was nor- deemed normal or whatever. And it, that's why it took me so long to really understand, oh, this is like, Fucked up. Like this isn't how, like this is supposed to be. And I'm damaged from this, and I have to heal this now. And you know, so I, I think we can um, have our our base as humans be better now that we have more knowledge to our disposal about how to interact with people and and be kind and be communicative, Um, but we have to also be able to make mistakes just like we have to be able to make mistakes with any type of art that we do.
0: It is time to take a quick second, talk about the sponsors on our show, the people that support us. And now when I say talk about the sponsors, you better not be skipping past this part because you never know what it is I'm going to talk about. Um, So first up, our friends over at Puget Systems. If you're in the marketplace right now, let's say you're making music videos, right? And you've decided that you're going to shoot on large format cameras. Maybe you're shooting with the, uh, the new Arri 35, or maybe you're shooting with the uh, uh, large format, or you're shooting uh, red raw, and you want to be able to have all those raw files. There's nothing worse than having to transcode or create proxies and then edit with proxies. And then it adds a whole nother day to the back end where you're having to replace those proxy files with the original content. Now, for those of you listening who don't work in the business, sometimes when we shoot such large format files, right? Um, our computers can't handle the playback on them and there's nothing worse than trying to playback and set pacing uh in your edit when it stutters and it delays and it falls apart on you right i hate that I, that's when you hear me screaming at my computer because it's pulling me out of the movie i'm trying to make so in the past when your computer wasn't powerful enough you would take these extra large files You'd name them the same thing, but you'd size them down to a workable format for you. So that way you can still play them back. But you don't want to deliver at that tiny little format, at that tiny resolution. At the end of the day, you would then replace those files that are in the edit currently with the larger format stuff, right? You still couldn't play that back really well. So you'd be pacing everything and then onlining it on the back end and crossing your fingers and hoping it all works out. That has been a process for so many years because the computers haven't been powerful enough to run it. But now with all the advancements in hardware and all the advancements in technology and and um, the brand new chips that are on the marketplace and the, the uh, amazing sort of ra- like RAM crammed graphics cards, we can now play all this stuff back at full resolution, and I hunted it out through Puget Systems. They built me a PC that enables me to run 4K, 5K, 6K, multiple tracks of video timelines with effects on them in real time as I'm editing, right? (laughs) It's cool as fuck. I can't say enough really great things about it. I've been beating the hell out of this new system with all the work that I've been cutting for Gina and all the stuff that we've been doing for Beat Miller and the stuff that I shot with the Mini LF Uh, for my new short film running flawlessly on my Puget System. If you guys want to know what kind of Puget Systems, what my specs for the Puget Systems are, head on over to PugetSystems.com, write to them or go to their Instagram page at Puget Systems and say, hey, what are the specs for Mike Petchy's machine? Ask them. And if you want one that's just like mine and I'm telling you, you do. I'm telling you, you want this machine Tell them, build me one just like it. And here's what's great about Puget. They will ask you, I'm sure their next response will be, "Oh well, what are you using it for? Is this an editor only? Is this going to be a machine that you're using After Effects on? Because that new graphics card doesn't really add much to After Effects. So why don't you save like two, $300 on that and get yourself something different, right? This is what's great about people that don't create the gear itself, they just put the parts together. So they have no allegiance to it. So they're always on the hunt for what's affordable. They're always on the hunt for what works best currently. And they're a great resource for like recent software updates. Why doesn't this work? And what kind of gear works? Maybe you want to build your own PC. I'm telling you, go to PugetSystems.com right now. The link is in the description of our episode and just check it out, man great resource. It will change the way you think and connect with your computer. It's not like one of those big culty companies where you just buy a fancy box and they go, we got everything. Oh, by the way, it doesn't work anymore. Throw it out. We got a whole new one. No, no, no. It's a whole different world. PugetSystems.com. Check it out. Uh, also supporting the show, I was talking about the fact that we had shot stuff with the Airy Mini LF. Uh, we get all of our gear from Boca rentals now if you're in los angeles this is the place to go if you're a young filmmaker if you're just starting out and i think it's it surprises me how many young filmmakers that i talk to that are afraid to form uh, relationships with rental houses and as i ask them they have some of the most basic fears like um do i what's the deal with insurance what do i need for insurance and and you know are they i don't know enough about this equipment so they are they going to treat me the same way that they treat the larger clients that they have? Am I going to get the level of respect? Um, And I don't know what I need for gear. So is there a place that I can go to learn about this stuff? Yes, there is. Boca Rentals. These guys are so hyper-focused on younger filmmakers, younger cinematographers. Um, They do training seminars. They have some of the best equipment and gear, the stuff, the lenses that you drool over because it creates the content that you love, right? You want to shoot with the lenses that they shot Joker with? These guys got them, right? If you guys want to shoot with a camera that uh, was used for, oh, I don't know, uh, Oppenheimer, that's coming out, these guys have it. These guys have access to all that stuff. And what's great about it is that they understand that they're a younger rental company. They understand that the future is us, right? The future for them isn't Scorsese. Scorsese, I hate to say it this way, he's going to die soon. <laughs> so the future is with us, the younger guys on the market. And so they want to form relationships with you. And that's a great place to be in. That's a great place of power to be in as a creator, because these guys will often offer deals. Uh, I'm gonna try to get my hands on some really good contest giveaways from these guys for you. Um, And they want relationships, long running relationships with young filmmakers. Go to BocaRentals.com, check out their inventory, look at all their stuff. They are a cinema resource specialist, and it is the place to be. BocaRentals.com will help you make really beautiful art barely got that out. Uh, Also supporting the show, talking about supporting artists, our friends over at Fujifilm. Fujifilm makes amazing cameras, and I'm not allowed to talk about it yet, but they have some amazing cameras coming out on the horizon. Now, I've been noticing this because I've been talking to a lot of folks that have seen 12 cam, and they ask me about what kind of cameras I use, and we talk Fujifilm. And it blows my mind how many people that aren't even in this industry that want to have a Fujifilm camera, right? In a world where everybody can take pictures with their iPhone, there is still a value in picking up a tool, right? Actually grabbing a tool out of a bag, that its only task is taking photographs, that its only job is to inspire you, right? That's why you get it. That's why so many people are like, why do I have to buy a camera when I can take great stuff with my phone? I don't want to be shooting art on the same phone that I'm having an argument with my girlfriend on via text. There's nothing worse than trying to frame a shot and suddenly there's a text window that shows up and calls me an asshole. (laughs) Let's be real about it, right? There is an emotional context that comes with the phone, right? Because that is, our, for many of you, your only form of communication right? Maybe you're going through some really tough times with a friend. Maybe you're going through some really tough times on the internet. And that phone gives that little alert, which then triggers that anxiety within you, right? And so now that anxiety is ruling you creatively at that moment. Why would you want that connection to your art? Maybe you're sitting around waiting to hear if you got that job, right? Anxiety. So much anxiety is associated with your cell phone. It just is. Get rid of it. If you're going to shoot photos, if you're going to create art, get rid of that anxiety. And and what we try to do as artists is create a set, create an atmosphere, create an environment that nurtures creativity, that nurtures the ability to experiment into, to fail. Don't bring a tool into that environment that is going to hinder any of that stuff. Don't shoot, sit with your iPhone, right? And no matter what kind of releases whether or not the iphones figured out how to like replicate uh depth of field or if it shoots at like super high resolutions it will never be able to disconnect you emotionally from the fucking anxiety that comes with having it think about that so if you're on the market to shoot you want to create find a great camera check out fujifilm and i know there's a lot of uh younger folks people that you know, maybe didn't have the best year last year financially, but you're still looking for some gear, I've done the uh, you guys a favor. In the description of today's episode, there is a link to the refurbished gear. And oftentimes, check that often. Oftentimes, they, they put up a camera body, they put up a lens at a discounted rate, which is a great jumping off point for you to get in. Really is. Um, what am I shooting with these days? We've got two different types of cameras here at our place. Gina's using the GFX gfx series i think she's got a gfx 100s which she loves which is the large format stuff and then i've been shooting a lot with their x series camera which is the one uh the x h2s it is the cinema forward camera that they're doing right now so it has so many great options for you if you're creating films with it um and it is uh one of the most powerful cameras at that price range of the market um, you're talking like 4k, you can shoot 4k up to 120 P with it. It has increased recording time, which is huge, huge for a DSLR. Most DSLRs will stop recording about 15 minutes in. This is a great camera. If you're doing large format recording, like podcast recordings, really good for that and it shoots Apple ProRes, which we all know works perfectly in post-production. Um, so many great things to say about this camera and this company. A few weeks ago, I actually got to go sit in a room and brainstorm session, give my feedback on the creation of a new camera and I got to meet the entire staff that is uh, f- like forward thinking and outreaching to filmmakers. They're a great, great company um, and all put together uh, by uh, and, at least their their PR staff is all uh headed up by victor and victor has been on our show so go back and listen to that episode and you will hear the passion and keep your eye out for more new Fujifilm uh creator series episodes because as they now are sponsoring us for this year i have to create some new episodes and i'm excited to meet these young filmmakers and people that they want me to have on the show so love Fujifilm; can't say enough good stuff about it and before we get back to the show i will say this If you're a newcomer to the show and you are uh, feeling a bit daunted by uh, the amount of episodes that we have, maybe you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and you're like, man, there's like over 200 episodes. Do I go all the way back to episode one? Are all the episodes the same? Here's what's special about our show. (laughs) And I, in the beginning, it was a detriment and it's now becoming what makes our show special. When I started the show, I didn't just curve into one subject. If you guys notice, that is the easiest way to get traffic early on. Is that, okay, Mike, you're doing a show about filmmaking. All your episodes should be about filmmaking. All your episodes should be about gear. All your videos should be about unboxing experiences. If you do that, then you'll get more listeners faster. You'll get more followers faster. But in my head, I was like, yeah, but I don't want to be just talking about that shit forever. Then it becomes a fucking job. I want this show to be about whatever I want it to be about which makes it difficult for you as a listener because you're like, well, if I go all the way back to episode one, are they all gonna be music episodes? Well, look, I've made it easy for you. Go to inloveoftheprocess.com. I've curated all of our episodes by subject material. So if you just wanna hear our musicians episodes, there's a whole musician section. If you wanna hear our filmmaking episodes, there's a whole section for that as well, right? I've done the hard work for you to make your life easier. Inloveoftheprocess.com. All right, let's get back to the show with Vanessa. I, I think this is important. I and you know, correct me, obviously, if you feel like I'm wrong, but you say damaged, and I think damaged is such a damning word. I I think mm. it's just experienced is a better yeah. word for for that because when when you hear damaged, it's like all right, hey, you had like a leg cut off and an arm cut off, and now you're trying to figure out how to run around and do this stuff. And I, I think that for many of us, it isn't that intense. It's not. It you know yeah. there are certain situations that exist out there, and and we've seen the monsters that exist out there with cancel culture in the, the beginning of cancel mm-hmm. culture. But I think it's gotten sort of out of control to a certain extent. Definitely, And, and now we're at this point where it's not okay to fuck up anything.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: it's not okay to make mistakes with anything. And we're, we're so quick at this point to chastise and to demonize mm-hmm. and to uh, put people because you know, we're getting a rush off of it, and people are making money off of demonizing folks at this right. point. So now you have a whole generation, a younger generation, that is so incredibly timid and yes. concerned about doing anything wrong that they're not experimenting with anything at this point.
2: Absolutely, and I that does like bother me so much, and that I think that's why I do talk about my, my own experience and why I'll say like me and that boyfriend I'm bringing up, like, we're cool. Like he made mistakes. I've made mistakes too. Like I've hurt people in my life. That's why it's like it. Yes. It doesn't have to be, it's not always this really, yeah. Damaging thing. Maybe. Yeah. That, that word I use, I guess, because uh, with damage comes like healing and i think that's yes. like a big part of of my my work is like healing but even i've talked about that word healing and how it connects you to what hurt you in the first place and that i don't even like that word so much but um but i agree completely and i think it is about almost yeah being being more okay with the the fact that we can be compassionate to to each other,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: that's, I am, uh, I am super grateful that I've been able to have conversations with, with my exes about like, hey, this was really messed up, and I, you know, I went through years of, of thinking that, you know, X Y Z because of this thing, you know, and we can talk about it and learn, you know, it's like if you're not learning, then what's what's the point? So as long as it again like to capitalize off of like your experiences yes um, yes is 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 the the smartest thing that you could do for yourself as an artist or just as a person
0: well yeah yeah because i you know without going too far into detail on my own end but i've been through relationships and i went through a pretty traumatizing relationship myself and that took me um about three years to learn from I think, and to go through yeah. the process of understanding who I was uh, going to be after that relationship, mm-hmm. and and um, you know, there's there's two sides of it. I think the younger version of me. I would used to get angry about it and say, man, all this fucking wasted time. And if I hadn't mm. been through this thing for three years, then I probably would have been further in my career. And then I could have, you know, done this and coulda, shoulda, woulda. And then you sort of come to an understanding where it's like, yeah, but without that stuff, my stuff that I'm making right now wouldn't be as textured as it is. Mm, yep. You know? Yeah, and so Definitely. I think that there's something fascinating to discuss here, which is all these life experiences that we're thrust to, and some of them are more intense, some of them are more traumatizing than others, and some of them uh, will shape you more than others, but- at the end of the day, the human body is so resilient. <laughs> the, shit, yeah. the shit that we put it through, whether we're dumping alcohol down into it or we're eating way too much fat or doing drugs, the recovery rate for most humans is insane. And how fast the body can recover is pretty crazy. And I think that if we're putting ourselves in the right mental space for things, and someone ex- explained it to me recently, where you go through some sort of traumatic event, and we all are going to, like our parents are going to die, like everything's going to happen to us. Yeah. Um, and if we have the ability to sort of project ourselves, almost like a drone shot, project ourselves to a higher position and sort of examine it and say, hey, look, this is devastating within the moment. But as that shock wave sort of dithers out, look what happens because of it. Look at all Mm -hmm. of the events that have changed and the course change that has happened because of that. And in that course change, you've now found yourself as an artist in a whole new playground, in a Mm -hmm. whole new place to create and develop something. So as traumatic as something can be, um, the, the aftermath of that will often lead to a rebirth that is not just a rebirth for you emotionally, but also for your work, which is cool.
2: Definitely. And I think it's a very nuanced, you know, thing. Cause I know that it's, it's like not cool now to be like, Oh, well everything happens for a reason that can be seen <laughs> as like insensitive or whatever. But like, I do think that if you are an artist at least, um, it keep using that as your coping mechanism, as like (laughs) weird as that may be. It's like, just, yeah, let this be your coping mechanism for, for whatever kind of shit that you have to go through. And it, it, I think it's, you know, it's a gift to be able to, um, to, to do that. And I, I think that like You know, I'm I'm so blessed that I that my mom taught me how to play piano and that I stuck with it, you know, because like it is such a good emotional release. And for for anything, yeah, it's like if I'm just if I had a a bad day of um, you know, at work or whatever, I can, you know, just release that energy through through that art form, you know, And, and I I think that the more that we just recognize that as something that is available to us, like the the better off we'll all be mentally, emotionally, spiritually, everything.
0: Yeah. 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 And, and then the question is like, if you hadn't been through that traumatic experience, would you have done the same sort of possessive dance in that music video?
2: Right. Yep. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I even like, I think that, you know, I, I do get this resentful feeling that, like, God, like, I, I resent that I talk about this experience that I had in my life in in you know in any interview I give or whatever because I'm like, aren't I done with that kind of thing, you know? But it is it is one of the the parts that of of myself of my story, and um, it's not the only part, but it's a big part and i think you know it's it's there and it's and it's good to share because i think it is really common it's more common than like people re- may realize a lot of the time and so it's like you know we got to give each other permission to to feel those those things and ask those questions i suppose
0: well look i brought it up specifically because i feel like we're so inundated with sexuality and content Right, that yeah. you know. Oftentimes, we have no context. Most of the time, we have no context. So this, mm. the, so when you're watching like a uh, like a pop stars video, and believe me, I've done enough music videos for pop stars where you know sexuality is the tool. It's the sales tool. I forget the quote. I have to re dig up this quote because I've referenced it a few times. But it was with a, a female musician who said that. Uh, she decided that she no longer wanted to do music videos cuz she was tired of staring at the audience and begging them to come fuck her. Some so I think it was I'm really fucking mm-hmm. that quote up. Because, you know, sexuality has become a tool to make money. And so when yeah. you when you look at most pieces, there's no grounding to it. And right. when I when I look at your piece, your piece is so loaded with dangerous energy and you're not Doing a lot of the tropes. You're not staring mm-hmm. down the camera. You're not, you're not using sexuality as as a as a weapon. Your sexuality is more of like um, how do I describe it? It's more, it's like it's like someone tapped into an oil reserve and it's just pouring out of the planet at that point. Mm. So it's it's there's a difference. And I think it's I think it's interesting to sort of ground it. By understanding where it's coming from and understanding how you're using it and what the process is, because it's special. And when you see that, you understand what that is. And I think there's a an important distinction in a world in which, you know, we're just inundated with porn. I can't even imagine being a child and, and yeah. having access to the level of pornography that you see on the internet right now, without Mm -hmm. any sort of fucking context or life experience to sort of put you in your place with it. Um, And so I think it's powerful to talk about that stuff. And of of course, I apologize if you're if you sort of get these questions all the time. And I I really was trying to come at it from that angle, because...
2: Oh, no, no, I, I willingly and it's not like I resent people asking me about I it's I was only saying like I feel like why is that almost a default for me to talk about
1: uh Um, yeah I don't know like
2: it's it's more about that and and no like I I um I, you, there's no need to apologize at all. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> well, like, I-, I
0: mean, well, no, I mean, it, it's about, you know, interacting, you and I meeting each other vocally for the first time. And then, and then, you know, I think it's also so that the audience understands that, that there is a difference here and, you know, yeah, we're all, there is something appealing about sexuality because it's ingrained within us chemically, Right. And so, you yeah. know, we're drawn to a beautiful woman as a, as a male and, and women are drawn to men for their specific needs. And so I think that navigating this world in which there are rooms full of psychologists and and specialists that are designing and sort of taking all these sensory elements to give us the greatest dopamine rush possible and yeah. in a world in which... The hottest platform for every young kid right now is essentially a karaoke platform, which is TikTok. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, you scroll through uh, your feeds and you just see girls replicating whether they're they're doing some sort of sexual motion and they're just replicating some sort of video just because it's getting likes and attention without sort of an understanding of the context of what, what, where that comes from. I think it's important to talk about this.
2: Oh my God, it is. And I, yeah, it's like, I, I think that the difference and I love your, um, your explanation, uh, you know, of it. And and I love that quote, even if it was (laughs) not like exact, (laughs) I, I, I think, um, it is something that I think the differences um, be, between like that quote and somebody saying, you know, she was probably directed in that way of like, okay, like, you know, make love to the camera kind of thing, you know, yes. like ask, you know, to, and for me, it's a, again, it's in that moment, that dance that I do, that was for me, that was like, this is what I want to do it and I think like the only thing that makes it sexual is that I'm naked, right? Sure. And dancing. <laughs> like, sure. Like, and it's it's, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not um I'm not seeking to seduce in that moment. I wasn't moving my body in a way like I'm like, let me what what's the most like sexy way I can move my body to, to seduce someone? This was me just um Purely exploring the the space and the shapes that my body can make, and dancing to my own voice, which is the most sensual thing that I could think of, of doing for myself. You know, so that was it's so sexual, and I think it's um, seductive because you're witnessing me just indulging in loving myself and I'm just like letting you do that. And yes, that's yes, what the difference is.
0: Yeah. And there's an honesty. <laughs> I'm going to get even more personal. There's a, there's an honesty to it. So it's like, there's a, there's a huge difference between watching produced pornography and watching real pornography. And I know that there's a bunch of websites out there that exists where it's like, you know, women having real orgasms and going through that whole process. There's there, is something uh, completely fascinating in real movement, in unrestricted movement, in honest, emotional movement. Mm. And i whether you're talking sexuality, or even if you're talking dance, or even if you're talking acting and blocking, um, you can feel as a human being when you look at something, if it feels staged. And I think what, I do, and what we do, what I'm sure you do as an actor, is we're trying to take something that comes from such a staged source, you know, essentially, you know, a woman, a male or a woman sitting at a desk and writing on a piece of paper, and and trying to make that exude honesty, and mm. exude uh, honest emotional response. And um, you have a, lo- actually, you have a loop on your Instagram, which is a- of one of the most explicit parts where you sort of thrust yourself back and everything is revealed yeah. and when you watch that loop it's it's entrancing because it is sexual it, it, and if i was to break it down it's sexual for a couple of different reasons one the lighting is there are rules to lighting women Right. And so Mm -hmm. when you're when you're lighting women for photography or you're lighting women for film, the light source always has to be at a specific angle. That light source helps carve cheekbones, that helps, you know, sculpt you in a specific way. But also if a woman sort of leans back and opens her mouth and and aims towards that light source, it's very sort of sexual, very phallic. Like there's all sorts Mm -hmm. of preconceived things that fire off in a brain, right? And I think a a lot of that fires off in a male brain, but also it fires off in a female brain at this point because it has been used so often as a sense of advertising. And so Mm -hmm. when you watch this loop and you sort of thrust yourself back initially, and you sort of stand into this position that has all that ingredients, right? So that Mm -hmm. starts to fire all those neurons where it's like, okay, this is a sexual act. And suddenly you thrust yourself with such uh, possessed in, in in dangerous way in which you're, you're thrusting yourself back and your body becomes possessed in such a way, then, then there's a sense of danger that comes with it. And I think mm. that that contrast, just in that one loop, is is fucking fascinating
2: (laughs) (laughs) i love this (laughs) it's great just like hearing uh somebody break it down like that i I love that
0: (laughs) but i think i think it's you know this is what my job is 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 to sort of understand these things to be able to replicate these things and, and what we're doing with everything that we create whether it's you you know, dancing on the keys of a piano, or if it's me, you know, shifting a lot. I, I just lit, to go off on a slight tangent, I just did a film last weekend for a friend of mine, and um, there was this very sort of intimate scene between him and this actress, and they are both really beautiful people, and but the scene was so tight and detailed and for those of you listening that have to light you guys know how complicated it is to put the lights in the right place in a tiny room with a small ceiling and you have two people that are coming in very close to each other to kiss and embrace and sort of go through some sexual acts now when i first set up the light for the sequence it lit the room nicely it lit the scene nicely but as she got closer into the sequence it was lighting her face the wrong way. And, and as I'm sitting at the monitor with the director, she's watching it going like, oh, I don't like her performance. I don't mm-hmm. like what I'm seeing from her performance. And then the actress would come in and she's like, I, I'm not doing it correctly. And I said, no, 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 it's me. So let me go j- change the light. And so mm-hmm. I went in there and I was able to move the light. And instead of it coming from a lower angle, I brought it to a higher angle and it wrapped around her face. And suddenly you had that sexual sculpting that we're so Mm -hmm. subconsciously aware of. And that changed the, she did the same fucking performance that she had done before, but just the movement of that light changed the context of it all. Wow. Yeah. And I think it's very important for us to sort of talk about those details. And that's what we do on the show is really talk about those details because I think people are using these techniques and young girls are using these techniques online, and they're, they're not fully aware of what those techniques are doing. They just know that when I do this, I look hot, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of encompassed in one sort of description. It's like, no, 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 there are hundreds of years of, of this technique being all the way back to Renaissance and, and, and painting, where this technique is shaping what we think of as sexuality, which is fascinating. Mm. I don't know. It was me going way off on a tangent. (laughs) No,
2: no, it is really fascinating. I'm just thinking about it because I feel like um, it's a question that I, that I pose sometimes because, because I think I, in, in my work, um, when I talk about sexuality, it does have this weight to it. You know, it's my first um, expo that I went to with my products I remember all the branding for the expo was all very tongue in cheek. It was all very, haha, we're talking about sex. We're sexy. The most yes. sexiest thing. And I was like, this is all it's like trying to be funny. And I'm like, we need this kind of like light hearted or silly approach to sexuality for it to for us to not feel a certain way about it. And and for me it was like I Needed to go a different direction. I wanted to be like, wait, no, sexuality actually has uh, so much weight to it, and and it's actually something that is a can be a spiritual experience and um, bring you into places of of deep reflection and existentialism, even and all these things. And yet, like, there's still sometimes where I think like, why do I need to give it that weight to make to have it be a value like it, you know, it's all nuance. It's all like, you know, sometimes it's like something can just be what it is, and, and that's okay. It doesn't need like a deep meaning. Like sometimes I do want to just show my ass because I like the way my ass looks mm-hmm. and that's okay. And that's val- valid. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, but sometimes like it is an exploration of some deeper, deeper meaning. And I think, um, I think in, um, art, especially, it's like, I, I, and I'm sure, as you know, a, a man in, in this world and dealing with things like that, you have a, a lot against you in terms of, um, uh, are you just doing this because it, you are a man and you just mm-hmm. want to look at a hot body, or is it really an artistic expression? You know, and sometimes it's like, well. Who cares either way? <laughs> like to to me, I'm like, you know, sometimes it's just we're just stupid humans. And, yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> like we're just ridiculous. Like what's to say something is is more valid or has more value and it's just like for me, I think I I do tend to go along that route of, of understanding those those gateways to, to deeper meaning or purpose of sexuality. It makes it feel, um, more potent, uh, in, in my, in my world. Um, well, yeah, but yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. I mean, you're not hearing, it's fascinating when you, when you, when you're selling massage, massage therapy, you're not hearing like, Ooh, it's gonna get weird. Like they're not they're not dummying that down for you. It's just the stigma of sexuality, and it's sort of you know tiptoeing around the fact that like you know for fucking you know hundreds of years the Catholic Church was demonizing the fucking thing, right? Like so, like it's it's and I think we're now hitting a point socially where you know that's really changing, and you know at this point why can you not look at you know, self-pleasure the same way you would look at going to get a massage or the same way you would look at going for therapy. You exactly. know what I mean? Because it's, mm-hmm. it's something that's needed. It's a release that's needed. It's, it's a release that, you know, if was done more often, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> a dangerous statement would be, would there be as many serial killers? Like if, if it, wasn't so you know restrictive on us and we weren't restricting such a a basic human need then you know how would that change us as a society and how would that change a lot of males as a society Mm -hmm. and and i think that you know it's it's a dangerous topic, and I'm like tiptoeing around it. But I, I th-
2: know it is so dangerous to talk uh, about these things. But it, I love it so much. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, for, for 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 most males, males don't want to acknowledge the fact that we're preyed upon consistently, mm-hmm. and you know, sexuality is constantly shaping and driving what we purchase, how we do, what we act, how we act about things. I mean, you know we're shaping our interactions with women based upon what we see on television, based upon what society is telling us that we're allowed to do and we're not allowed to do. Um, And, you know, I think that, you know, the pendulum swinging as far in the other direction as it has recently, I talked to a lot of younger guys and I'm just like, dude, come on, man. Like the, the larger lesson here with the Weinsteins and everybody that have, enacted positive change but also have enacted such like a ridiculous swing in the other direction you want to just say to them like it's okay to be human it's okay to try things out it's okay to uh interact with people and it's okay to make mistakes it's okay to do that just don't be a dick You know what I
2: mean? It's like, don't be a dick. Just listen. And you know, yeah. And like, we're all, we're all stupid. Like I said, like, we're all just like, we don't know what we're doing. And I, and I do ache because I, I do feel like this, this wedge between people, you know, no matter what your sex is, this is the same sex, different sex, whatever, no sex. It's like, there's like this wedge because I think that there is like a fear, um, you know that i mean i feel it i feel this this fear that i'm going to upset someone cuz i don't want to upset anybody and and i think as a you know as an artist it's a really bad place to be when you feel like afraid to to say something that, that well, might hurt someone
0: yeah but you, but you know what though i still want to be able to upset somebody because sometimes i need to upset somebody Sometimes yeah. that's part of the, especially if I'm making a film, if I'm making a piece or a project, I there are sequences in which I need to upset you. You need yeah. to become upset in order to understand where it goes, in order to feel the recovery of it. And sometimes as a storyteller, If I'm trying to convey to you what it felt like, you know, to go through massive head trauma that I went through and almost died and had an injury, you need to be upset by it. At some point in time, you need to witness and go through that process and go, this is fucking me up. And you go, that's right. Now that you've been fucked up by it, now understand the recovery process and now be transformed the same way that I was transformed through that process. And one would even say the same thing about being, you know, running into sexual issues when you're younger and going through sort of traumatic experiences the world isn't a safe fucking place right and it's okay if it's not a safe place and the what we do as humans is we're we're hit we're knocked down and we figure out how to pick ourselves up and we reshape ourselves based upon how we were hit by something Mm -hmm. that's natural that's totally fucking natural yeah you know and we should be celebrating those folks that do make mistakes, but they have the ability to change. And we should be yes. celebrating change and celebrating growth, which we're yes. not right now.
2: Oh, 100%. And I, I definitely hope that we start to yes. recognize like, oh, that person, she grew from that or he he grew from that and now like adjusted, this part of like how he would like go through that experience, you know, whatever it is. Like, I, I think that that's the next phase for humanity and our society and our culture to like go through. I, and I'm excited for that part. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Me too. I like Gina says it best. And and she says this all the time, which I, I think is pretty profound. She's like, we're always making mistakes. The same mistakes as a species because we don't live long enough to learn from them. And mm. there, there's something interesting about that. And and mm. you, I, I won't go too far down on this because I feel like I've kind of hijacked a conversation with this, but um, which the only way we're ever going to learn uh, at a faster rate or learn at the rate that we need to, which means, you know, living twice our life to be able to become progressed by it, yeah. is by stop putting youth on such a high fucking pedestal and stop just, you know, focusing 100% on like the innocence of youth and and how crazy it is. I yes, it's it's an important part of our life. It's a very small portion of our life. You know, mm. living in high school and being in our preteens and being in our 20s and the reason why it's focused on so much is because it's marketable. That group mm. is the highest marketing market campaign possible they're the easiest ones to sell to they use their guilt to get their parents to buy shit like Mm. that's why it's celebrated as much as it is it's an important part of our development but one would say that as you get older you're how do people change based upon what they've been through when they're younger and if we're celebrating that a bit more then maybe we're not so hyper-focused on the beginning and we start to pick up a little bit later in the game and we advance a little bit further as a species yes. because of it. I don't know. Amen. That's It's a really strong, dangerous statement, but I made it.
2: <laughs> no, yeah. Yes, 100%.
0: <laughs> but anyway, Vanessa, I'm sorry I hijacked conversation. No, no. <laughs> Uh But uh, yeah, so... Let's go back and uh, let's redirect a bit here. And so you started playing piano when you were younger. Like, when did you sit down in front of a piano?
2: Oh, man. I mean, I, yeah, my mom would teach the neighborhood kids. So I was, you know, just as a baby on her lap listening. And I don't know when exactly it happened, but I was always at a, a piano. I learned, um, from her. And, you know, we tried other teachers. I was never really consistent with lessons, but I did do like the competition or not competition, but it's called NISMA where like you're graded for piano. And I would get myself so anxious and sick that at one point (laughs) my mom was like, okay, just stop, you know, stop learning piano and just play. And at that point, I started composing and that must've been around like 12, 13 years old. I started composing and, um, then, um, you know, a few, few years ago or in, in I'm I'm a college dropout, but like I took Mm -hmm. jazz composition in college and like, so I learned like more theory and I mean, it's all boring, but like I, I picked up, you know, more, theory um as like I got older too and now I'm like getting back into that but now that I have that now that I had that freedom of being able to like just play like my mom was like you're not going to learn anymore piano theory or learn any like written song like I I really developed like that creative bone I think from that um which which has been good and so I think like I developed both of those sides of my brain I suppose
0: well, the piano is such an interesting uh, – in- I- I've never learned how to play it, and I've you know sat down and noodled. But it's such an in- interesting instrument because it's so large, right? So it takes up like a big portion yeah. of space. It requires a lot of motion from you. It requires a lot of body movement and hand coordination, which is fascinating. But it- the instrument itself sort of encompasses uh, really – emotional triggering highs and very emotional triggering lows. So it's, yeah. it's such a really interesting storytelling tool, you know?
2: It's the best instrument. You think so? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, obviously I'm biased, but I, I love the piano and I think everybody should learn um, how to, how to play because yeah, it, it is, it's, it is that. It is such a good emotional tool at your disposal.
0: Yeah, it's super cool. It's really rad. And even just noodling with it, you're just like, it's it's crazy. What when you're talking about the language that's been set because of that instrument being around for so long, and because there being music that is, that is, has existed with that for so long, it's almost ingrained into our genealogy at this point. Yeah, to hear piano keys and and what they trigger which is fucking really cool. Man. Mm,
2: yeah.
0: That's really cool stuff. Um, well, I, 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 this has been a fascinating, I hope you've enjoyed our conversation.
2: I absolutely <laughs> loved our conversation. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. It, this has been really great and it's wonderful to meet you. And um, I'm very happy that I stumbled across that music video and um, it, i think that because of meeting you we were able to talk about some like really dangerous stuff but do it in a very responsible way and 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 I, i'm just happy
1: Yeah, <laughs> that we too, had this man. conversation
0: I feel good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's uh, great I, yeah thank
2: you so much
0: i appreciate it thanks for being on the show vanessa There it is. Today's episode in the can, man. I Look, where we went today, I have to be honest, where we went today was not preconceived at all. And let, me be, <laughs> let me be painfully honest. So I had a lot of technical difficulties this morning getting the show up and running, so I was late, right? So I showed up, Vanessa was very patient with me, and I was about 15 minutes late to this. So I didn't even do any prep, right? I have heard her music, and I have... Uh, Seen her stuff prior to this, but let me be brutally honest, I even forgot who I was interviewing this morning. So when I sat down and had this conversation, it was cold. And so there was no preconceived uh, anything for this. It wasn't like I had uh, a plan or an outline and I'm like, hey, we're going to tackle sexuality. It went where it went. And I love that about this show. And I love that about a great conversation. It's not my job to push my agenda on you. It's not my job to drive conversations the way I want it to go. It's my job to make the person that I'm talking to feel comfortable enough to go down that path. And it's my job to learn from that in front of all of you. And so I hope you guys, if it felt like it was organic, it was, and what you were hearing was honest. Um, And I, I'm, I'm very happy that we got there. And a lot of the stuff that we did talk about is dangerous to talk about today, but it shouldn't be. And eventually it won't be dangerous to talk about these things. And I think the more honest that we are about our sexuality, but also about our learning process and the mistakes that we made and what we've learned from those mistakes, I think that will make us better for it in the long run. And, you know, my rant that I went on there about youth and how much we... Uh, immortalized youth, its it hasn't been ironed out yet, right? I'm still learning how to convey what I'm feeling when it comes to that, but there's some sort of truth in there, right? That I think maybe we're so hyper-focused on how exciting it is to be young and how exciting it is um, to go through the bewildering process of going out into the world and doing things that um, we overlook what it's like to learn our first lesson, what it's like to learn through heartbreak, what it's like to transform because of a mistake. Um, That's true growth. That's really where we start to shape who we end up becoming, right? At the end of the day, that those are the events that really make work solid and for a lot of really good work stuff that you hear that doesn't feel derivative stuff that you watch that comes out of nowhere and it feels dangerous and interesting that work most of the time I would actually put my neck on the line and say almost all of the time is the result of some sort of learning from some sort of traumatic event so if you have been through a traumatic event Maybe you want to look at it in a different way. Maybe it isn't the, the event that ruined your life. Maybe it isn't the event that is shaping you in a negative way. Maybe it is the catalyst for change and for learning that you need to become something different, to become something new, to become something, one would even say, more developed. You know what I mean? And I use that description because that's a description that we get all the time when we're writing scripts, right? We don't feel like these characters are developed enough. We don't feel like uh, this the script is rounded out enough. And basically what those notes mean is that there hasn't been some sort of life experiences that are put into this. There hasn't been a learning lesson that the character has to go through, right? And we know this. This is the rule of the game when you're creating narrative. There has to be a sort of a a journey in which the character is tested and the character decides to answer the call, correct? And go through this journey and that journey within itself will change how that character sees things, right? It doesn't oftentimes doesn't change them completely. It's not like the difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly. And oftentimes there are narratives that stay consistent with us our whole lives. But I look at something as devastating as cracking your head on the ice as the catalyst for something that is beautiful. And if I hadn't had that moment, then I wouldn't, you wouldn't have 12KM. And if I didn't have 12KM, then I wouldn't have this next stage in my career. And if I didn't have that that way, then I wouldn't be living here in Los Angeles. So it's it's fascinating after a traumatic event, after the dust settles and the towers have fallen, and you get further enough back from it, you can actually see where those shock waves have affected your life in an interesting and new way. You know what I mean? Something to think about um hope you guys enjoyed today's episode i sure as hell did i hope you guys uh really liked vanessa's music i think it's wonderful and beautiful and fantastic and i think this is one of our better episodes uh, because she's on the show uh definitely go check out her stuff now like i said the easiest place to go is her instagram page but i will put links in the description of today's episode make sure you go check all of that out all right that's it I know it's a heavy episode, so go take a break. Be good to yourself. And uh, thank you for listening to the uh, new episode of In Love with the Process. And as always, I will see you next Tuesday.